Hey, everybody. Welcome to an attorney and an accountant walk into a bar. I'm John. I'm the attorney in. I'm Kent, and I'm the accountant. All right, Kent. Well, what are we talking about today, my friend? John, I want to pick your brain about professional stereotypes. That is a great subject. Let's get into it. drinking this evening well what i've got here is a very interesting drink this is a whistle pig and that is a uh, vermont distillery this is their 15 year which is actually my favorite unfortunately it's also a little expensive but uh interesting story with whistle pig is that they uh being a vermont distillery actually this is a canadian whiskey because they get started well to get started they now distill their own but to get started they bought a bunch of Canadian whiskey, brought it down to Vermont, and then aged it there, which I think is a brilliant idea. And they've won a lot of awards for doing it, so cheers. Well, cheers. Today I have uh, something called BSB, which is a brown sugar bourbon. It's 103 proof. That's why my glass is rather small. Huh? Uh, it's based out of Oregon, and it is sugary sweet. Not something as a libation for every night, but... For our topic of conversation, it seems apropos because being an accountant is sweet. <laughs> well, you know, that's funny because what I think brought me into wanting to talk about this was that one of our clients came in, regular client, one of our bigger clients, and he was, he was chatting up to me about how sexy he thought being an attorney was because he's a big fan of suits and he's seen every episode right now. In my day, that would have been LA law, but I guess these days it's suits. And I just was like, my jaw just hit the desk. Cause it's like, this is nothing like that. And you know, then you have the stereotype of the boring accountant. I was like, well, Kent's job's actually much more fun than mine. <laughs> you know, my stereotype for law is night court. <laughs> Do you remember that? I do. Just, just cockamamie. No, that's just plain, that's just plain insulting antics in in the court. I, I figure figure that's it. Or, you know, they have um uh, what they have a remake of Perry Mason, right? Perry Mason's come well, back. Perry Mason was pretty pretty sexy. In fact, you know, I have to say, <clears throat> a few times in my life, more than a few, but a few times in my life, I've been in court and had that Perry Mason moment. That's what we call it. It's your Perry Mason moment when you get to like catch somebody in a lie. I I think. My my whole debunking of stereotypes is going to surround, especially with attorneys, is the fact that it feels like every attorney or every good guy attorney on TV is has this omnipotent power of no, being the best at everything, from contract litigations to patent to civil to criminal. Uh, you know, they're they're one minute they're in front of federal court topics and then state court topics. Can you uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in a real practice, those are all different attorneys. Yeah, it's that's crazy. That's a crazy notion. Nobody, or at least I should say anybody that's worth uh, a, can I say shit? This is a- <laughs> Anyone who's worth a, a, a who uh, certainly does not cross swords into those sorts of things. Now, a civil litigation attorney or someone who's in business might do a lot of, wear a lot of different hats in terms of, well, you know, we might be drafting a contract one day and maybe a complaint the next and maybe we're in court here and advising a client there. But if that guy's doing crim too, uh, he's the wrong guy. Mm -hmm. You know, 
that's a really, really different thing. And there's a very, very specialized areas too that I see them playing around with on TV all the time, like trademark and patent and you know admiralty law, which are attorneys that actually have their own bar to pass. I mean, wow. completely, it's almost a completely huh. different thing. It's almost not the same. I also think about venue. Everyone thinks attorneys are always like in court and they're fighting through court. I, I, I find when I when I see you and the team in, in practice, it most most of it's paperwork before you even ever get a hearing. Um, there's a lot of negotiation that happens before anything even transpires. And on top of it, uh, post COVID, well, people are almost never physically in any courtroom. Is that right? Oh. Yeah, I mean, it used to be in the old days, so back back in the day, right? Yeah, the before I'm, times, <laughs> before times, in in the in the dark times, um, we were in court at least once a week, if not maybe two or three times a week. Hmm. And that sounds like wow, you were in court, so you were arguing cases in front of the judge. Oh my God, no, 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 no. Ninety percent of the time, we would go to court to have a hearing about having the next hearing. Yes. It was the stupidest thing. <laughs> they were called status conferences, and you'd literally walk into court, and the judge would go, well, Mr. Plaintiff's lawyer, where are you guys at? Well, we're working on things, judge, and we need a little more time. Well, how about you, Mr. Defense lawyer? We are. Yep, we agree. We're working on it. Well, how about we continue this 90 days? Sounds great. And we go home and bill two hours. I mean, that's amazing for billable hours. Well, certainly. Um, it's not great for the client. Well, let, let's talk about that component of it, because I think there's, there is a stereotype, and this pervades uh, public accounting and, and, and law, I think, about billable hours, that attorneys are all about, you know, billing you for every little thing. I mean, we worked in the sh uh, an office at one point where the attorneys in there were like, yeah, you have your special code that has to, you have to put it in, and it tracks everything you do. Every single co piece of copy paper that you make is X dollars billable. And every phone call, you know? and, and back in the day, every fax machine, and nowadays, hmm. every email. It's 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 remarkable, and and it so that's, that's not a true that stereotype. is absolutely true. Okay, in the big firms, it's not something we do. Yeah, I don't think it's something that most people do that are a moderately sized firm. But if you're going to go to, you know, Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, or one of the big firms, oh, you better believe it, because everything that they can come up with is a profit center. Hmm. So you get. You know, there's codes that you put into your research software. So if you get on, you know, the research software, you get charged not only for the attorney's time, but also a, a fee for the research time, right? And to your point, copies, you get charged every page. And it's something absorbent, you know, like 35, 40 cents. So as a, as a part of research, I'm air quoting research here, I did happen to watch some Suits episodes. And it seemed to me that Every case hinged on having some sort of leverage on the other party, some sort of like hidden ace in the hole that uh, it created this conflict or the setup for conflict. And it got resolved because, you know, the guy that has that great memory pulls up this one case that like changes the whole thing or, you know, finds out that, you know, the, the plaintiff has a drinking problem that was un un unknown that changes the course of the case is it is that true where things like pop up or is that kind of like having that full house yes and no so again 99 percent of what we do is pretty mundane mm -hmm. and most cases don't go to trial and 
most times things just aren't that sexy. But strategy is really important in litigation. Mm. And strategy can have to do with, you know, things like how you propound discovery. It can have to do with motions that you make when you make them, putting pressure on the other side. Uh, I liken it to chess. If you're good at chess, I think you'd be good at litigation strategy and civil procedure, you know, understanding the rules and that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, you do every now and then get that, you know, Perry Mason moment with the, oh my God, look what we discovered. Oh my God, we found this. I mean, I can give you some examples that are really, really fantastic. But, you know, in all my years of doing this, which is almost 30 now, I can only think of a handful of times that we had that, you know, super Perry Mason moment. I got to admit it was a pretty great, you know, adrenaline release. And I had a, had a pretty good, <laughs> you know, pretty so good high after doing it, but you know, that's not, that's not the days. So what's the, the reality of, of law? Is there, is there a place to actually practice law with empathy? That's essential. The reality of law for me is hardly anything to do with the actual, what you think the act of law is and lawsuits and all that. Most of the reality of law for me is I'm more like a priest and a psychologist and a competent and a brother and a business advisor to my clients. That's really what I do. It's mostly about, most of what I do is like just advising clients on everything from what's going on with their son to, you know, why isn't this guy paying me or, you know, what's my next strategy and all this. And it's like, has absolutely nothing to do with my law training and everything to do mm -hmm. with what I've learned over time. And that's why older lawyers and more seasoned lawyers are more valuable. It's because of their life experience. You know, it's, it's interesting corollaries that accountants many think are, you know, the bookworm type. Many people think that accountants, so you're an accountant, you're good at math, right? And ultimately they don't realize that in accounting, the highest level of math you use typically is multiplication, addition, arithmetic. Yeah, just, math, yeah, right? yeah, yeah <laughs> just just arithmetic, basic arithmetic. Um, but a lot of what a good accountant does, and and hopefully you agree in, in terms of watching us each run practices, is that it's more more psychology than anything else. It really is, yeah. and that's true of my practice as well. You know, um, people think, well, it just you're boring and you, you crunch numbers. Uh, typically, they, they expect an accountant to have certain personality types. Um, they say, uh, what's the difference between an introverted and extroverted accountant? The introverted accountant looks at his own shoes and the extrovert looks at your shoes. <laughs> That's, a so, good one. That's a good one. You know, um, but I found that in my accounting career, just like any career, I think it is what you make of it. Um, I've been able to travel the world. Um, working at some of the public accounting firms uh, internationally, a uh, bunch of lived in a bunch of different states, worked on a, a bunch of cool clients, um, some publicly traded, some not, looking at the inner workings of, of certain clients, and then also looking at how they actually do business. Because ultimately in accounting, for me, that's the language of business. And if someone has a healthy financial balance sheet, that tells me a lot about how they run their business, whether the marketing engine makes the public think they're doing well versus what the numbers or the economics tell me. It can, and that goes 
goes the same with all of our clients too. You can you can always tell a story to the public, but once it comes down to the guy that prepares your tax return, the truth comes out. You know, a hundred percent. And you know, one of the things that I realized, especially in thinking about this topic, was what what is it about accountants that has this reputation? And the answer I can come up with is only one thing, and one thing only: marketing. Because if you if I look at your professional career, Kent, it's yeah. much more sexy than mine. I didn't get to go to India. You know what? Thank I you. I didn't get to do all the shit that you did. <laughs> but and here's the insult: I googled famous accountants. Do you know what I got? Dick. <laughs> Not one. There wasn't one famous accountant. Right. In fact, you know, my personal hero is Ben Franklin, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have one. You don't have an accountant you can look at. So what could I come up with for you if I had to come up with like, you know, some sort of hero? I don't know, Adam Smith? He wasn't really an accountant. It's more economics. He was just a, yeah. just a capitalist, yeah, right? But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just not there. And and it, there's no movie roles. There's there's just very, very little. And it's not fair. And it's not fair. And it's, and it's wrong, quite frankly, I think. Because I much prefer the role and the freedom that you have with your clients in terms of the advice that you give them and the analysis that you do for them than mine. I really do. Because honestly, your role is 99% positive in terms of the position the client is in when they're talking to you. And with me, they're usually having their worst day ever. That is true. Although as a caveat, just like there are different types of attorneys, there's different types of accountants too. One of the areas of practice that I that we're not formally in is the audit side. So you see a lot of the business advisory, the tax planning side, that's all positive things. Those things save client mo- clients money, time, are, are great forward planning opportunities, and it works and meshes well with, with legal. The opposite side of that, which you know, a lot of accountants, if they do have a reputation, uh, get a bad reputation for being the auditor, right? People think of the IRS auditor, but a lot of public companies, or most public companies have to have an audit, and the position of that auditor is to determine whether those financial statements are properly stated. So when I used to do audit work, you'd come into a company and you were the bad guy. You were the person that the people at the accounting level thought you were trying to find their mistakes, you know, the things they did wrong, the, the, the things that they missed. Uh, but a good, even a good auditor, you know, what they don't realize, especially at the compliance level, is a good auditor is there to assist a company in getting the books corrected and straight. So any company should have in their best interest to have their books properly stated. Only companies that don't actually want their books properly stated should be on the defensive of that. But that's just, you know, the, the, the concept or even the vernacular around audit it has a negative connotation. Well, it sounds to me like the people that would maybe look most uh, fearfully at an auditor might be people that aren't doing things the right way. Or, or maybe have some sort of... Uh, Something they're up to that isn't so good. Well, what does live up to the stereotype, though, is that as an auditor, when I was doing some of that type of work, when we went to client sites, 
it was a stark difference. When I went in and I had my tax advisor hat on, they would clear out the boardroom, they'd give us the Wi-Fi and everything was right. We had chairs, you know, lunch was in the break room. Awesome. When you're like, hey, I'm on the audit team, they're like, oh yeah, three, four floors down in the basement. Um, air conditioning works mm, some of the time. You'll have to share one ethernet connection and just keep unplugging your computers. Like we were literally in broom closets. I've been in broom, broom closets at client sites as the auditor while the tax advisor team is up in the boardroom. It's, it was a little <laughs> almost over the top and hilarious at times when I went to, went to client sites. <laughs> that seems a little dumb, doesn't it though? Wouldn't you want to endear yourself to the auditor so that maybe they, they actually, you know, maybe will like weigh things in your favor. I mean, I found what the one time I've been audited wasn't by a, a accounting audit. It was by the IRS. And boy, I tell you what, this gal came in and I treated her like she was a queen. <laughs> I gave her everything. We brought her lunch. We talked. I, you know, it's just sweet. And you know what? Went really well. So and it didn't have to. So you touch upon something that is key in, in I think, both law and accounting is that interpersonal skills, um, the ability to assess a situation, uh, especially on the audit side. So when you talk about governmental auditors, I do find it most favorable that you not only give them uh, proper accommodation, but you also make the jobs easier. The, no accountant doesn't understand what an auditor is trying to accomplish. So why not help them connect the dots? So just like you'd like to in law, you like to have the answer before the questions are asked. In audit, it's all there. It's in the numbers. And especially since audits are usually historical, you have to paint the picture. And when you draw the line, people tend to follow the path of that line. Um, and it takes a conversational acumen in order to really get a good auditor um, on the right track, right? Um, and a lot of folks... You can use, and, and people think that the difference between law and accounting is that accounting is very rigid and you have this codification, the IRS rules, and then law is a little bit amorphous. You have, uh, you know, precedent in court and you can argue and, you know, who knows what will happen, right? And to a certain extent with the jury trial, my understanding is that is the case. But with- Oh, it's, my, it's the case with everything we do is who knows what's going to happen. So in accounting though, it's, there's- to a certain extent, there's some similarities in the fact that a lot of a lot of uh, verbiage in the law is vague. The code is vague. It may touch on certain things. That's why there's always tons and tons of revisions. The the amount of pages in the IRS code uh, and the changes that happened. Tax Cut Jobs Act in 2017. It changed a ton of things. And even especially when bills are being passed now politically that are done so quickly that there's uh, there's not much consideration for. Um, for alternatives, or they don't, they don't, they don't really illustrate things correctly. They don't give proper examples for us to follow, especially in various cases. So then it becomes somewhat of the wild west of interpretation, and then it, it brings in the law because then there's tax court cases that have to defend clients on this. But it gives the opportunity for accountants to have some level of creative interpretation of how to implement rules. Well, that's very interesting that you think that, because. I think you're absolutely right for your end of things because I do a lot of tax law myself that sometimes you're like, what the hell is going on with this, <laughs> right? But in terms of civil law, in the law of business, the law of real estate, the law of you know, trade secrets and all the sorts of things that I have to litigate over all day long, I feel 
99% of the time, the law is fairly absolute. Hmm. We know what the rules are. We know what a contract is. We know when money's owed. We know when it's not. We know when someone's cheated. We know when they haven't. But you still end up with this bizarre outcomes and strange outcomes to the point where you really do have to tell a client, well, at the end of the day, I can't tell you what another human being is going to do, be it 12 human beings on a jury panel or one human being that's a judge. And a lot of times when I've been around as long as I have, I can tell you pretty close to what a judge is going to do if I know the judge, and I know a lot of them. You can never tell what a jury is going to do. And then the law doesn't matter anymore. And I've won a lot of cases I should have lost. <laughs> and I've lost a few I should have won. And that's really frustrating and it's really stressful and it's really unfortunate. So, you know, the one part about your job that you do is that two plus two is four, pretty much period in discussion. There's not much arguing about that. That's true to a certain extent, but it's about where you place each of those numbers above or below the line. (laughs) Well, this is true, but then at the same time, at least you don't have to say, well, two plus two is four, except unless this particular judge or jury decides it's six. You know, that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) So if we were to, if we were to back up and talk to our younger selves or, or be the audience of folks looking to enter a career into law or accounting, you know, what kind of advice would you give them relative to the stereotypes? Well, that's interesting because I actually had the opportunity to do that just recently because my son, who just uh, came back from a a tour in uh, Kuwait, is now out of the Army and he's ready to complete his college education, which he's most of the way along and he wants to go to law school. And one of the interesting things he talked to me about is, you know, he wanted to maybe do criminal law because he was interested in maybe JAG and going back as an officer and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And he had a really bizarre view of what criminal law is because my son's very intellectual Mm -hmm. and he's a great writer. So, you know, he would shine in doing contracts and litigation and writing briefs and things like that. He would be a, a round peg in a square hole at crim, criminal law. And the reason for that is this is something I discovered that I never would have imagined because I had the opportunity to dabble in criminal law for a bit. And criminal law involves almost zero paperwork. In fact, zero paperwork. Okay. You don't ever write a paper. You don't ever write anything and file it with the court. You just show up and run your mouth. Oh. That's all you do. That seems like the stereotype we see on TV. You show up and you're, you know, you're just yapping around and telling a story. Yeah, but you're not telling all those good stories and having all those sexy moments. 99% of the time it's like, oh, your honor, I'm here with my client. We're here for the arraignment. What's the plea? Not guilty. Great. Next. Got it. That's most of your job. Okay. And then the rest of it is calling the DA and going, well, hey, you know, my guy's not that bad a guy. and He didn't do anything really that bad. What do you say? You know, give me a deal. Okay, well, one-year probation, and he pleads to, you know, reckless endangerment, and, uh, you know, he'll get his record expunged if he's a good boy for three years. Okay, great, we'll take it. Great. And then you show up, 
you know, a week later and you tell the judge that, yeah, well, we plead to this and they agree to that. And it's unbelievable. It's game over. It's like okay. a machine. So when I explained to him, that's what you'll be doing. Uh-huh. He's like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. I thought I was going to do all this cool research and write all these briefs. Well, maybe if you're an appellate lawyer, but not being a regular criminal defense lawyer, that's not what it's about. Well, since there's different types of law and different types of accounting, I mean, how would you tell someone in that, you know, at that at that age or at that point in their life, what type of law they want to get into? What's the best way to even figure that out? I think to talk to a lawyer and maybe talk to a number of different lawyers and find out all the different things that they do. Because you don't have to ever go to court. You don't have to ever talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. There's research lawyers. There's contract writing lawyers. There's patent lawyers. There's, you know, patent law is very interesting because it involves a lot of science and engineering. And mm-hmm. if you're a big science guy and an engineering guy and, and you're into, you know, working with your hands, it can be really interesting patent law. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're an artist, you might well enjoy something like copyright and trademark. So there's lots of different areas depending on your interests and your niches and things like that. And, you know, what do you, what would you tell someone, Kent, about accounting? I mean, you, there's lots of different accounting things too, right? There is. The easiest way, the most straightforward way you find out of school is internships, right? For, uh, for a while, I thought I wanted to be a broker or an iBanker, and I interned at uh, those types of places. And I re- when I realized what they actually did day to day, I was like, oh, oh, no, I'm not doing that. That's crazy town. Um, not to say that I did internship of accounting and I fell in love with it. What I did was, uh, and I, I, you and I have discussed this too, is that accounting for me is my lever, right? What we actually do as a good accountant or good attorney is that we are problem solvers. We solve problems, our clients' problems. I just happen to use the lever or skill set that I have, which is numbers and accounting, to accomplish that goal and you use law to solve problems for clients and accomplish those goals. So my advice to someone getting into accounting is to understand and research what areas of expertise they're interested in. And for me personally, I think that if someone has an area of, of interest, there's probably something in accounting that goes around it. So let's, let's talk about a couple ones that are coming up now, which is called social media, right? Um, People are like, oh, what's, what's that have to do with anything? Accounting, social media. Well, if you if you look at the economics of social media, and you look at um, what drives content creators. If you don't want to be a creator yourself, you can manage creators. You can create a business around um, uh, of, of managing views and create. And every person that is creating ends up what creating some level for the purpose of creating some level of income. And when that income comes out, then you potentially could be. Uh, an advisor to creators for tax planning, an advisor to creators for uh, investment planning, and that has all accounting components to it. Or let's talk about, you know, um, any almost any the backbone of any business, be it AI, a restaurant, right, retail, um, brick and mortar, a SaaS business, all that has accounting in the background to create its structure, to communicate to the world its financial strength. So for me, in anything that people do, especially if it's entrepreneurial, there's an accounting component to it. So you take that skill set and you can apply it to any type of modality that you have an interest in. So let me ask you something. What, what would you say your greatest insight that you gained or the best thing for yourself as a person 
that you've gained through your relationship with your clients as an accountant? I got to accelerate my experience of entrepreneurship in the world. Um, I think that by being what is essentially the fly on the wall for hundreds of businesses over my career so far and, and, and more to come, that I was able to see, to see the success, the failures, the rises and the falls and be intimate with how they operationally occurred for me to gain those experiences without actually having the effect of the, the economic effect of both the rise and the fall. And it's really informed my decisions and how I treat my own finances and how I invest my own money. And when I get into a business and become a partner in a business or seek to pursue something, I use those experiences, not just of my own, but of the lifetime of experiences that I've experienced through client work to inform my decisions. And not to say I'm the best entrepreneur, but I have a lot of experience that I would otherwise have. I think it's a tremendous advantage. Yeah. That's a tremendous advantage. It's like you live in the light. Exactly. Instead of living in a cave because you get to see things that nobody else gets to see. That's right. And the diversity too. It's not just, even though we focus on sub-segments of, um, of a client base, they're into many types of business, medical products, music, arts, um, real estate, we get to see a plethora of different things that inform us and, and make us become um, more like a, a renaissance entrepreneur as professionals. I think that's great. Yeah. All right, man, that was fun. I, <laughs> I, I hope this inspires people to be accountants. I, I really hope they talk to accountants that have, you know, my perspective on this and anyone that comes and joins our firm, I always try to communicate to this. I mean, hope everyone can attest, you know, that listens to this, that, uh, I, I live that I live what I say and I really love what I do. And I encourage anyone that, um, is interested in both law or even accounting to like have a conversation with the professional, you know, sit there and talk to them about what they do. And if they don't tell you the right thing, talk to someone else, right? Cause not everyone's created equal. Um, and to research, you know, everyone's shapes and perceptions on and, and question what you see on TV, of course, you know, um, 100%. All right, everyone. That's it for today. Thank you for, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you like what we, what we had to say, please like, and subscribe, um, put a post it in the comments. We'd love to hear from all of you. If you have ideas for new episodes, you know, uh, put that in the comments as well. Uh, we're here for you and we'd love to help demystify and share our knowledge with everyone. Uh, stay tuned for the next time. <laughs>